Hello, this is Michael Beller from The Athletic. Before beginning this episode of The Athletic's Fantasy Baseball Podcast, we wanted to note that these interviews took place before the COVID-19 outbreak forced MLB to delay the start of the 2020 season. We've edited out parts of the interviews that were rendered moot and believe you will still find them useful as you prepare for your fantasy drafts and auctions. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am your host for this episode, Michael Beller. We are continuing our position battle series going division by division. In this episode, we are going to take a run through the AL East. And really, there's only one team in the AL East that we can start with. It is the defending division champion and very injured New York Yankees. To talk about the Yankees, we bring in our Yankees beat writer, Lindsay Adler. Lindsay, how are you? Thanks for joining us today. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so the Yankees are an interesting one. Most of these other teams we have uh, talked about have had some traditional, some non-traditional position battles, but no team has had the sorts of holes created by injury that the Yankees have. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Hicks, all going to start the year on the IL. James Paxton, Luis Severino, also going to start the year on the IL. Could be a very long stint for Severino yet again. So most of these position battles or position question marks that we're looking at with this team have to do with injuries. Let's start with the bats, with the position players. How are the Yankees going to fill in for those three big bats that are going to be out of the lineup to start the year? Well, for now, they right. have four outfielders. Uh, well, three and a half. They have Brett Gardner, Mike Talkman, Clint Frazier, and then Miguel Andujar. And the, and the few games I've seen him in this spring is, has looked okay in left field. So Gardner can, you know, play center and left. Talkman can play all three positions. Clint can play the corners and uh, Andujar can, can play left. So they can kind of configure it. And honestly, that will help get Andujar some at-bats. But, you know, you're really kind of playing with fire at this point when you have 3.5 outfielders <laughs> to start the season. Are any of these guys going to have the sort of lasting power that would make them intriguing plays in fantasy leagues once we do get Judge and Stanton back? Obviously, the Judge-Stanton returns are uh, no timetable for them just yet, but they're going to be back sooner rather than later, hopefully. Uh, who do you think, I mean, we know what Brett Gardner is, a very known commodity, but who else in this group of guys can have a little bit of lasting power when this team is back to full strength? I would say, so I would expect Talkman to you know, be on the roster the full, the full season and he's, you know, a good, a good defensive outfielder. So he'll get playing time. And I'm, I'm interested to see what, what he does with some regular playing time to start the season. And the, the same goes for Clint. Um, I'm just not quite as sure with, with Clint, you know, as we get later in the season, what his role is going to be. And then, you know, and Duhar can still hit and Duhar can hit. And the only question to me in terms of fantasy is where they're going to get him the at bats. But to me with Stanton down for now, because I think Stan will functionally be a full-time DH going forward. It, it opens up at bats for, for Miggy. 
And it certainly behooves him to uh, show himself well in the outfield once Stanton is able to get back taking over that DH spot. Let's flip things over to the rotation. Again, Paxton, mm-hmm. Severino, these guys going to be out for quite a while. So we're going into the year uh, for what looks like to me, obviously, Colin Tanaka at the top, Jay Happ, Jordan Montgomery, and then Jonathan Loisiga. Uh, is that how things seem to be shaking out already? I mean, is it going to be those five guys? I'm not sure. Um, you know, I, I really thought that Jonathan Loisiga would be kind of the maybe prime candidate for the for the fifth starter role because he has experience. And I know they're working on stretching him out. But the way they've used him this spring kind of in, in later innings, once, um, once it's more minor leaguers, I... I'm not quite sure if that's what they're looking to do with him, because if you if you think long term, I really think that he is a truly nasty reliever. And so my guess for now would maybe be Michael King, because he has AAA experience and, you know, he's he's a he's a mature player and he's already on the 40 man roster. The the issue with, you know, Davey Garcia is that. He's not on the 40 man. He barely has any triple A's or he has, you know, half season of triple A experience. But I would say that picking up Loisaga, whether he's in the rotation or not, is not a bad idea. The The only concern here for me is that he's injury prone, but he can pitch. And Jordan Montgomery was uh, an interesting guy uh, a couple of years ago before he had some injury questions himself. Uh, sounds like he's got a rotation spot all but locked up to start the season. How has he looked to your eyes this spring? He's looked good. I mean, he's throwing, he's throwing, I think, like one or two miles an hour harder um, than, than he did. And, you know, he had a, a long recovery and then he was able to throw at the end of last season and then kind of go through his full off season and you know he's just a he's just more mature player he's more mature pitcher and i i fully expect that you know if as as with every yankee at this point if he stays healthy you know i i think he can put together a good season Health, a huge question for every team, of course, but even more so for this team. Got to be happy to see Mookie Betts on the other coast uh, and not have the Red Sox necessarily breathing down their neck right away to start this season. That's Lindsay Adler. You can check out her work over at The Athletic New York, also on Twitter at Lindsay Adler. Lindsay with an E. Lindsay, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Our next stop in the American League East is in Tampa with the very intriguing Tampa Bay Rays. For that, we bring on our Rays beat writer, Josh Tolentino. Josh, what's up, man? Thanks for joining us today. Michael, a pleasure to be on, man. Like what you say, an intriguing Rays, and uh, you know, should be an exciting season for, for not just them, but the American League East. The more things change, the more things stay the same, right? Because this team across multiple regimes has always been uh, the paragon of depth and flexibility, and that is absolutely the case again this season. You know, you look up and down at the position players on this team and you find yourself a handful of guys you can be pretty confident are going to play every single day, chief among them in the fantasy world at least, Austin Meadows. But then, 
there are guys who uh, are going to be part-time players who are maybe going to be on long side of platoon, short side of platoon, guys who could play their way into an everyday spot. I mean, you just look at um, yeah, Brandon Lowe, uh, Hunter Renfro, Yoshi Susuga, uh, uh, Yandy Diaz, Manuel Margot, Jose Martinez. I mean, there are so many guys who on one hand command playing time, but on the other might not be everyday players. So how is Kevin Cash going to put this all together? Yeah, there are just so many. Uh, you look all over the field, and you know it's like they can roll a, a lineup, uh, different lineup, literally 162 games of the season. <laughs> it's uh, you know for for fantasy purposes, man. Like, okay, so where do my guys fit? Um, but the two guys that I'm really going to be intrigued are, I mean, are their off season acquisitions. You know, when you trade away literally the franchise's most productive offensive player in Tommy Pham to to San Diego you know they're selling high on his value and they're and they're they're trying to acquire more offense that was the biggest thing that they wanted to improve this offseason was hey let's let's improve our offense well you traded away the best uh you know offensive player in production in you know franchise history but in return look what they get they get Hunter Renfro a power hitter who strikes out a lot but uh you know they're they're looking really for that power I've talked to you know some club officials and they think he you know has potential to hit 40 plus bombs um, which isn't really out of reach when you look at kind of the trajectory of, of his career, specifically in these past two years. And then on the other side of that, you, a guy you mentioned, Yoshi Susugo, uh, you know, was absolutely raking the ball in Japan, uh, 139 home runs over the past few seasons, past four seasons. Uh, you know, let's see how that translates to, to MLB pitching, but so far, I mean, it, it looks like the transition has not, it hasn't been seamless because, you know, there's still been, you know, some growing pains, not, I wouldn't say pains here and there, but uh, he sure can hit the ball hard. And I wouldn't be surprised if him and Renfro, you know, are, are leading the team in home runs at the end of the year. Yandy Diaz is a guy who sort of came out of nowhere last year. There were some signs of him being this sort of player uh, in Cleveland before he came over to Tampa and then uh, really had a, a breakout season last year. He's a stat cast darling. Uh, he can play a couple different positions. Of course, DH is always there for him, even though Susugo seems to have the inside track on that. Uh, is Diaz going to be someone uh, who is mostly an everyday player on this team? I ask about him specifically because uh, he is uh, someone who uh, the fantasy community is very excited about going into this season. Yeah, no doubt. He's definitely going to be the uh, team's everyday third baseman going into the you know, opening day. But uh, they have been giving Yoshi Susugo reps there. You know, if, if, if he's capable of, you know, playing defense at the high corner, they're going to split time there. But Yandi is definitely going to be that guy. But uh, you got to consider, you know, his body frame. He's just such a huge guy. I mean, the, he's got so much weight on him. All those, you know, everyone, they call him the Arnold Schwarzenegger of the team. I mean, he's just, dude's just jacked. Uh, with that type of body, it's hard to up, uphold and maintain throughout a 162-game season. Uh, and, you know, when you're doing that at, at that weight, and, you know, that, that big of a body. Uh, last season, he had three stints on the IL. But, he, I mean, even though he only played in 70-something games and, you know, career-best 14 home runs, they really fixed his launch angle and the trajectory of his swing. Uh, so if this guy is healthy, I mean, he's, he's definitely going to be a good uh, piece of that offense and a big part of that production couple of other offseason acquisitions I want to ask you about. Two guys who people have been excited about at various points of their career, but things have never fully clicked for either of them. Manny Margot and Jose Martinez. Right now, uh, from an outsider's point of view, uh, it seems that they are the odd men out in terms of playing time. That Obviously, they're going to get worked into the lineup, but it just seems like they're going to have the fewest 
plate appearances of the regular contributors for this team. Is that the right read on the situation? Uh, that's a safe bet, and they haven't have re- really actually been uh, trying Martinez in the outfield. He's he's really kind of been stuck in at first base. I think that you know I think that's going to be his his main position unless there are any extremes where they have to stick him out there. Uh, but I think they've already seen his defense at six foot six and his nimble feet, and they want to keep him over there at first base. And if he can hit, he's going to be a big part of that lineup, you know, right there in the middle. But, uh, you know, so far this spring, and I know it's just spring, but he's uh, struggled so far. But but back to Margot, uh, you know, he's basically going to play that fourth outfielder role. And, you know, they got another guy in that Martinez trade, Randy Rosarena, a 24-year-old kid uh, from St. Louis. And he's really been showing, you know, some bat-to-ball skills. So, uh, you know, he might be creeping on Margot's, uh, you know, shoulder here for that fourth outfield spot. But... Um, Margot, no doubt he'll be that, that plus defender. And, and really, you know, when they need defense at times, I, I can imagine them uh, switching Margot with Meadows. And, you know, you have Meadows there, or you have Margot there and Kiermaier. And, you know, those two, between those two, you cover a lot of ground in the outfield. But uh, definitely Manny Margot, I mean, he led, I, I think he was second in NL center fielders last year in, in fielding percentage. So, you know, that's defense and offense there for you. And that Margot trade with San Diego came as a bit of a surprise from Tampa's point of view, not only because of the player they acquired in Margot, who didn't seem like a huge need for this team, but because of the player they sent out in Emilio Pagan, uh, a guy who had a huge year for this team last year. That, of course, opened up the ninth inning. Fantasy community treating Nick Anderson like he is definitely the closer. I know we haven't heard an official word from Kevin Cash on that situation just yet. How right is the fantasy community in assuming that the ninth inning is Nick Anderson's to lose? You know, I'd want to say 50-50. This is kind of similar to last year's situation with, I thought Jose Alvarado was the closer. That's, you know, a lot of fans and, you know, even writers were saying that going, coming into the season. But the the Rays, they're definitely going to use a closer-by-committee approach uh, coming into off, and to the uh, opening day. And that, the, you know, that, that committee approach, it's, it's three guys. It's going to be Nick Anderson, Diego Castillo, who's also definitely worth looking at, and Jose Alvarado, who we already mentioned. But uh, with Anderson, you know, they like him in that in that eighth inning role. He was absolutely dominant last year. 41 strikeouts after being traded to the Rays. Two walks, Michael. 41 <laughs> strikeouts, two walks. Yeah. Uh, his ERA was j- just above two, right around two. Uh, and I mean, you can't get much better than that. So uh, he's definitely possessed the, the closer stuff, but, you know, the Rays aren't exactly, you know, folding their or showing their hand in terms of you know is it going to be Anderson Castillo or Alvarado there in the ninth inning all right that's Josh Tolentino on the Rays you can follow all his work of course at the athletic also check him out on Twitter at JCT sports Josh thanks so much for taking the time with us today Michael thanks so much man it's been a pleasure and look forward to you know keeping up with the coverage Next up in the AL East is the Boston Red Sox. To talk Red Sox, bring on our Red Sox beat writer, Jen McCaffrey. Jen, how are you doing today? Thanks for taking a few moments to talk with us. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. You know, it's a, it's a different uh, a different Red Sox team than the one we've become accustomed to over the uh, last few seasons, uh, one that uh, enters the year uh, without a whole lot of excitement, which is something that we're not used to saying about the Red Sox. Obviously, the big news from the offseason is the trade that sent Mookie Betts to Los Angeles for a big package of players, uh, chief among them, Alex Verdugo. Now, Verdugo, when he does come back, how should we be expecting this team to deploy its outfield in a general sense? Yeah, once he gets back, you know, the Red Sox signed Kevin Pillar um, as a, in free agency in, uh, in February, early February, really, as sort of um, 
a uh, kind of like a, a backup um, situation for Verdugo, but he's had a really good spring and I could honestly see sort of a, um, you know, a, a split position there and right for, for Pilar and Verdugo, especially early on when they're easing Verdugo into, into the lineup and into everyday play. Pilar has been playing obviously every day down in Fort Myers with the Red Sox. So um, he's gotten accustomed to also playing alongside Jackie Bradley Jr. in center um, and Andrew Benintendi in left. Um, so I think, you know, for uh, for the first half, at least, you're going to see a lot of, of Pilar in the lineup. Um, and I think as we find more, find out more about, you know, Verdugo's timeline and, and when he might be able to get back into games, then then we'll have a better sense of how they'll split it up. But I think that they, they've been really pleased with what they've gotten so far from Pilar. When Verdugo gets back to fully 100%, should we assume that he's just as much a part of the everyday outfield as Benintendi, or could Jackie Bradley have more of an inside track on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, ideally, I think um, Verdugo is going to be just as much, a you know, an everyday part of the part of the lineup um, and part of the outfield for them. I think it's just kind of a lot of questions, you know, and obviously having traded, you know, away Mookie Betts and David Price in this guy being your your main piece in return, your main major league piece at the at this point anyway. Um, there's a lot riding on what he's going to be able to do. So I think there's, there's, um, yeah, there's a, a lot of questions right now of, of what he can provide and how healthy he will be and, um, all of that. Um, and, and, you know, how much power and muscle strength really he's lost because he hasn't been able to work out, um, with this, this back injury. Um, so that, that, all of that kind of plays into sort of the, the question marks that are kind of, um, hovering over his head, you know, in an ideal world. Yes. I think that he'll be. Um, a key piece of their of their lineup in their outfield. But I think we just kind of don't know right now exactly what to expect from him. Mookie Betts is gone. David Price is gone. And at least to start the season, no Chris Sale for this team either. So without Sale in the rotation uh, while he is on the IL, how should we expect this team to fill in its starting one through five? And how does Colin McHugh factor into that mix? Yeah, so um, so the the top three guys that they have are Avaldi, um, you know, Nathan Avaldi, Eduardo Rodriguez, um, and, uh, who am I forgetting here? Martin Perez. Like, Martin Perez. There we go. Another newcomer. Yep. They signed, uh, <laughs> they signed right after the winter meetings. So a lot of, a lot of turnover this yes, winter. Indeed. <laughs> um, so those three guys are your one through three and have had, you know, Rodriguez and Evaldi have had pretty strong springs. My Perez has been a little up and down, but again, you know, you don't really base much off of, you know, spring numbers, um, necessarily, but yeah, the next two spots with sale going to be out, you know, at least in a best, best case scenario for the first two months of the season, um, is kind of kind of up in the air. Ryan Weber, who's a guy they had last year, um, kind of mixing in, in in a variety of different roles, has sort of emerged as their number four guy. Um, I don't know that he's going to be able to go very deep into games. He might be sort of like a five inning type guy um, at the most, um, and then they'll sort of mix and match. But he's he's had a nice spring, and they've talked a lot about him as being someone that's emerged as one of these candidates. And then just as of the past couple of days, they've talked a lot about uh, Colton Brewer, another guy they had last year who was in the bullpen mix um, and, and uh, kind of, you know, in the opener mix really all spring. Um, so definitely they're considering that that opener type um, role for the fifth spot, um, but are going to be a lot of mixing and matching and, and kind of figuring out who, who best fits in this role. And then honestly, I wouldn't also be surprised if, you know, over the next week before spring training wraps up, if they try to 
pick up a guy that, you know, was out of options and, and a team had to, you know, might've made a, um, a team that he was on, but was out of options and is, you know, got, had to get DFA'd. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up doing something like that. Um, but yeah, they, they kind of have a lot of moving parts and nothing's really solidified in those final two spots um, in the, in the back end of the rotation. And as far as McHugh, um, they had sort of been going after him even before the sales stuff happened. Um, they had just kind of had a, an eye on, an eye on him, um, for a, a few months into the, into the off season here, uh, I guess before spring training started. Um, he's another one that's sort of dealing with, um, forearm type strain, although it's not nearly as serious or, you know, worrisome as, as sales. Um, and, and he had some sort of non-surgical procedure over the winter to, to kind of clear up some, some, uh, I guess some, um, like bone chips and, and, and just, um, tendon issues. Um, but, uh, but he is someone that obviously has had both starting and relieving experience. I wouldn't be surprised if they keep him in a reliever role. Um, that's where he was most recently with the Astros and had obviously a really good 2018, not so much in 2019 when he got hurt. Um, so he did say to us the other day that he'd prefer kind of one role or the other instead of bouncing back and forth, which he thinks might've led to this, this forearm strain. Um, but, and, and so I think it depends on where the team is and what they need, um, where he kind of fits into their, into their pitching staff. More questions than answers in Boston for the first time in quite a while. That's Jen McCaffrey. Catch her work over at the athletic MLB, the athletic Boston, and also check her out on Twitter at J McCaffrey, uh, JC McCaffrey, excuse me. Jen, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Our next stop in the AL East is up in Toronto with the Blue Jays. And for that, we welcome in Blue Jays beat writer, Caitlin McGrath. Caitlin, thanks for taking a couple of minutes to talk to us about the Jays. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course, it's our pleasure. So Blue Jays, one of these teams that don't necessarily have a traditional position battle that's going to have a huge impact in the fantasy baseball world, but they do have one that's worth paying attention to, and that is at the back end of the rotation. How is the fifth starter battle shaking out for this team? Yeah, so the Blue Jays entered this season really rebuilding their pitching staff because that was a huge issue for them. Last year, they saw a lot of their starting pitchers go down with injury, and they were just cycling through a ton of different starters. So a priority this offseason was to bolster their rotation. They did so with guys like Hunjin Ryu, Tanner Rourke, Chase Anderson. They've added all those guys to their rotation, along with Matt Shoemaker, who's coming back from an injury. So that really left one spot open for... Uh, one of their younger pitchers or another sort of ad they made this offseason. So entering spring, it looked like there were going to be three serious contenders. Trent Thornton, who was sort of a workhorse for the Blue Jays last year in his rookie year. He led the team in starts and innings pitched. You had Ryan Barucki, who was sort of a, a breakthrough story in his rookie season in 2018, but he missed almost all of last season with uh, bone spurs in his elbow. And then you had a new guy, Shun Yamaguchi. He was a signing out of Japan this offseason. In Japan, he was a very successful reliever. Then he tra- transitioned to being a starter. Um, in his most recent season. So when it comes down to it, the race is between Trent Thornton and Sean Yamaguchi. And how have those two guys looked in spring? Does it look like we have a favorite developing, or is this something that's going to go right down to the wire? So I think that they've both sort of had good-ish starts in spring. Sean Yamaguchi, his first basically North American start, was a little bit rough. He didn't get out of the first inning. Again, it's spring. He's sort of adjusting to 
North American hitters. It's a different ball from Japan. So there's a lot for him to get uh, adjusted to. Trent Thornton, I think, has the inside track just because he's a little bit younger. The Blue Jays want to give him the best shot possible to develop into a starter. They liked what he did for him them last season. It was a bit of a up and down season, but at the same time, it was his rookie year, and he really stood out in the fact that he made starts basically every five days for the Blue Jays. So that was huge for them. The other factor is that Shun Yamaguchi, like I mentioned before, has worked as a very successful reliever in Japan, and he could be sort of um, a weapon for the Blue Jays in the bullpen. He could be a guy that you could use over multiple innings just because he is being stretched out as a starter, but he can also be a fairly, or the hope is that I guess he could be a fairly successful high leverage reliever because that's what he did in Japan. He was a closer for a number of years. So I think when you kind of look at the different factors, the the idea that Trent Thornton probably just suits the starter role a little bit better, whereas Shun Yamaguchi is totally open to going to the bullpen and he actually might be a better asset there. I think those kinds of other circumstances beyond just the performance on the field gives the edge to Trent Thornton. All right, flipping this over to the offense, the, the youngsters are locked into the top half of this order and why wouldn't they be? Bo Bichette, Kavan Biggio, Lourdes Gurriel, and Vlad Guerrero Jr. Those are the first four hitters in this lineup. That's going to be the first four hitters opening day, uh, May 1st, May 15th, June 1st, most likely. But there is some risk tied to these guys, and we know how much much value there is in the fantasy world in the top spots of the order. So let's say one of them struggles, especially if it's Biggio or Gurriel with their strikeout issues. How much leash do these guys have? at the top of the order is this something that where the plug could get pulled if they do struggle or is this just going to be these are our guys this is our foundation let's fire them up and let them uh, sink or swim on their own yeah I think that the leash is going to be fairly long if you look like somebody like Kevin Biggio you know he is fairly impressive with his plate discipline so he does get on base a lot he walks a lot he had a pretty good OPB uh, last year for the Blue Jays. Um, and so I think the leash for him is fairly long. The other thing, the other factor going into it is these guys are still relatively young. Kevin Biggio will be in his second season. Lourdes Gurriel, this will be his third season, I think. And and Bo and Vlad, again, second season. So all of them are still pr- fairly young. If they are struggling, there might be some thought into putting them lower in the lineup just to ease that pressure a little bit because, you know, it's still an adjustment period for them. Um, but the, the manager, Charlie Montoya, really does like um, the lineup, those four, to top the lineup. Um, so I guess we'll see how it goes. I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of sticks with them all year if it's going well. I also wouldn't be totally surprised if one of them is struggling and they want to ease the pressure a lot, a lot um, and, and moves them down the lineup. It also depends on the other Blue Jays hitters. Someone like Travis Shaw, Blue Jays are hoping he has that bounce back season which is why they signed him. He was obviously not very good last year for the Brewers, um, but the two previous seasons he was very good. So he's maybe a guy that you could move up. Randall Gritchuk is a guy that Blue Jays hope will have a bounce back as well. So maybe he's somebody that could move up in the lineup and ease the pressure off some of the younger guys. Um, so it's kind of all those factors will go into the decision. All right, that's Caitlin McGrath. You can check her out at The Athletic Toronto, also on Twitter at Caitlin McGrath. That's Caitlin Caitlin. K-A-I-T-L-Y-N. So many different ways to spell your first name. There is. And uh, (laughs) I have a preference. I like the K, so. (laughs) So your parents did well. It worked out. Yeah. They made a great choice. (laughs) All right. Thanks for uh, taking the time with us here, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me.
Wrapping things up in the American League East, we move over to the Baltimore Orioles. Bring on our Orioles beat writer, Dan Connolly. Dan, thanks for taking the time with us today. You got it. All right, Orioles, we got to start with Trey Mancini, obviously. Uh, this is a bigger-than-baseball situation. We know that with what little we do know and our, our thoughts are total with him and, and his family and his friends and all that. So what can you share with us about the Trey Mancini situation and how uh, who, how do the Orioles fill in for as long as they are without him? When he'll be back, we don't know. He has said uh, through a statement that he expects to be back. Um, the Orioles expect for him to be back. They're not actually making contingency plans just yet. Uh, like without Trey, he's obviously their best hitter. Um, but, you know, the, the hope is that he'll be back fairly soon um, and, and back to his, you know, his top performance. Um, in the meantime, I think they are looking at, you know, a lot of different possibilities. Uh, Dwight Smith Jr. might have been actually on the roster bubble. Um, but he, you know, I, I think at, if Trey starts, you know, on the disabled list or on the injured list, I should say, I would imagine that that Smith gets some more time in the corner outfields. Um, you know, Anthony Santander, Santander and uh, Austin Hayes are pretty much locked into the outfield. Ryan Mountcastle is a guy that they were trying in left field. He looked pretty decent out there for a guy who's never played the position. Um, he's always been an infielder. Perhaps he could be, you know, put in that spot. I would imagine they still don't want to start that clock. I would imagine they still uh, would keep him in AAA, but I guess that is a possibility. Uh, they have guys like Mason Williams and Cedric Mullins who are kind of on the, the bubble that I could see potentially, you know, making the team now and playing in those corner outfields. There's a lot of different things, scenarios. Um, you know, Trey's one of those guys that kind of bounced back and forth, Michael, honestly. He, you know, he played left field and right field. He also uh, played a little bit of first base, could DH. And so maybe first base is more the domain now as Chris Davis. It was going to be anyway, but, um, but now he might get spelled a little less. Uh, it's possible that Renato Nunez gets more time at first base. Uh, you know, so I think it's really up in the air right now. They could always go out and get themselves an outfitter off the waiver wire like they did with Smith last year. So I think it is up in the air. I think you know, a lot of it is kind of contingent on how long Trey will be out. I think right now the Orioles are just hoping that Trey will be back as soon as possible. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we all hope to see him back on a major league field as soon as possible. Again, our thoughts with uh, with Trey Mancini. Uh, how about the closer situation with this team? Uh, you come into the year uh, assuming that Michael Givens is going to be the guy, but you know Richard Blyer, Hunter Harvey, all could be in the mix as well. How should we expect this closer situation to shake out at least early on? And from what you've seen with your eyes, do you think there's a long term favorite here? Well, I think to start out, if you look at it, I, I, you know, Michael Givens is the closer to begin the season. Um, but last year, Brandon Hyde brought Michael Givens, who he thought was the Orioles' best overall reliever, in any scenario. And that meant sometimes he's coming in the seventh inning or the eighth inning or he's pitching two innings or whatever. He was not a traditional closer by any means. Um, and I think really kind of moving him back and forth like that wasn't good for the Orioles, wasn't good for the bullpen, wasn't good for Mike Givens. Um, I would think that they might want to be a little bit more established. And I really do feel like, you know, this Orioles team does not have a lot of strengths. But there are four guys that I think are in the back end of that bullpen and uh, are, are major league pitchers. Richard Blyer was hurt last year. Uh, you know, he, had, he missed part of the year before, came back, wasn't quite his self. If he is what he is, which is a good, solid left-handed reliever, um, that helps. Mike Givens, if I think is put in a role and kind of told what to do, like you're going to be here in the ninth, I think he can be fine. Um, Hunter Harvey has an explosive arm. Uh, we saw that in spring. We saw that last year in the, in the uh, seven appearances he made last year. Uh, and I think he is the closer of the future 
right now for the Orioles. Also, we can't forget about Miguel Castro, who did not have a great year last year, but is a pretty good pitcher. He has explosive stuff as well. There are other guys, but those four guys, I think, are the ones um, that really can make up the back end of the bullpen. And at this point, I would think it would be Givens with some connect, you know, some combination of Castro and uh, Harvey and Blyer giving the ball to Givens in the ninth. Um, however, Givens is the most tradable player the Orioles have. If he does well in that closer role, if he does well re- regardless as a reliever, um, he probably is the guy they're dangling in July. He does have a year and a half left on his contract after you know up until July. Uh, it's two years, two more years of arbitration left. So. I think that there could be a sea change regardless of how well Michael Givens pitches because I think he could be on the trade block or is on the trade block if he pitches well. In that scenario, I would think that Hunter Harvey, assuming he is healthy, and that's been the you know bugaboo for, with him, if he is healthy, he probably moves into that closer role, although Miguel Castro is a guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, Harvey's an interesting guy no matter what, uh, even if he never saves a game for Baltimore this year with that uh, with that strikeout upside and the possibility of throwing a decent amount of innings. He's going to be someone who you're going to want to circle around to late on in your fantasy drafts. Uh, one more thing here to talk about, Dan. It's uh, in the rotation. There's been a lot of competition at the back end of the rotation, and this team, without a lot of established guys, has some youngsters who could compete for spots in the rotation, be it opening day, be it somewhat into the season. How do you see the back end of this rotation? shaking out um, one guy to keep an eye on is Keegan Aiken who is a 25 year old left-hander uh, he turns 25 in April he was in AAA all last year he's a former second rounder out of Western Michigan he is um, he's got good stuff he has not been able to command it uh, the way he wants it consistently um, but he is a left-hander who throws you know 92 93 uh, has a good change up has a slurvy slurve curve thing that he's really tried to work on last year um so he's a guy to keep an eye on uh, and there are several others uh, you know there's guys named like like zach lowther uh dean kramer who came over in the uh the dodgers trade with machado bruce zimmerman who came over in the braves trade uh you know for kevin gosman all these guys are sitting around triple a and they got a chance michael bowen's a name that everyone's kind of talked about a little bit he's going to start in double a i would imagine and I think he might be like a step behind some of these other guys. Uh, Louther's one that, that I find really interesting. He's a bulldog left-hander, uh, doesn't get scared about anything. Um, but he might be, you know, a couple steps behind, and we may not see him till July or August. I think if you're looking for a guy who might be able to kind of come out of nowhere and do something for you a little bit, maybe Keegan Aiken's the guy to keep an eye on. All right, that's Dan Connolly. Of course, check out all his work at The Athletic and get him on Twitter at Dan Connolly. 2016 Dan, thanks so much for taking the time with us today. You got it. Take care. That'll wrap things up in the AL East. Please do give all of our AL East beat writers a follow on Twitter. Next up in the division-by-division position battle series is the American League Central. Check out theathletic.com slash podcast to get yourself 40% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. Until we're talking AL Central a few days from now, this is Michael Beller. Thanks for listening. Thank you.